so welcome again. This is the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. This is episode number four. I'm Jared Ross, and like always, I'm joined with Chris Johnson. All right, so we are we're really amazed, and and I don't know what else to say. Thankful, scared. Um, <laughs> there, there's one way of putting it, I guess. Um, with all the feedback that we've been getting, uh, we've only broadcast three podcasts so far. We we recorded a couple that we decided just weren't good enough, so we we nixed those. But still, only the best for you guys. <laughs> Seriously, if it doesn't meet the standards, it's gone. That's right. So we've received a lot of really positive feedback from uh, you know, from a lot of different people from from all over the country. I guess that's the miracle of of doing these kind of podcasts. Yeah, you know, right now they're just live on the website, but you know, people are listening to them. They're sharing with their friends. I, I don't think we got this much feedback from any article we've ever written. No. it's kind of surprising. No, it is surprising. It it surprised me. I was not prepared for this. I thought we were going to get like seriously two people, my mother and and someone else. Somebody else. Yeah. Well, um, red, uh, William Redheffer. So he, he works with us a lot and he, he's one of our, I guess when we need an extra hand, he, he helps out. He's a pretty good dude. Um, so he hit me up earlier this week. He was getting uh, yet another tattoo because he clearly doesn't have enough. So he's getting another I one. I understand that problem. <laughs> and he told me that uh, another guy, uh, I guess with a Navy background, who was also in the tattoo parlor, uh, said, hey, Red, do you do you work for, for Lodestone? And he, he was kind of taken back. And he's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I do. And uh, the guy said, oh, I've been listening to their podcast. So I, <laughs> who, who, who knows? Anyways. Oh, so what we've done is uh, we've since we've been getting emailed, uh, direct messages, and, and and other stuff. Some people have been asking us different questions and stuff. So tonight we're going to take a look at, at some of the questions people have asked and just do our best to to answer them. So again, for for future podcasts, if you have a question or a topic or something that you want, email the website. Uh, go ahead and direct message us on Instagram or, or or Facebook or however you can get in touch with us. And you know, feel free to ask whatever. And we'll... yeah, these questions it kind of seemed like they were spurred by the previous episodes, but some of them kind of feel like, "Hey, you guys are a training company, so I'm gonna ask you this question." Yeah. So we got a mixed bag. We picked the uh, ten best, or I guess the the ten most common. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's the way of putting it. Well, I we we can't go on for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, so let's uh, we'll do our, our best. So I'll start off and I'll read the first question that we have, and then uh, Chris, why don't, you, why don't you take it away and start okay. talking about it? First one is, what can I do if I can't find or afford ammunition? Isn't that like the story of everyone's <laughs> life right now? Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, we did recently have Chris too write the article on the website about reloads and handloads ammunition. Uh, this is the time that we have to be very careful. Uh, I've made the joke of buying ammunition in a parking lot and still having the two bag limit. Um, the thing is, the ammo is still out there right now. You just have to work m- harder than you've ever had to before. A lot of the manufacturers are, have even started selling directly to the public. You just have to keep checking. Um, now, not all of us have the ability to sit there at our laptop and keep hitting the refresh button and, and waiting for, for ammo to come available. Uh, and I hear stories all the time of people that 
oh, I, I was able to buy a thousand rounds and I got it for $500, which, you know, a thousand rounds of nine mil at $500 a year ago, that would have been ridiculous. Yeah. I think in, in January of this year, I thought I was getting ripped off by spending $189 mm-hmm. for a case of a thousand. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and now I feel that I'm anything below 40 cents, I think is oh, sweet. Yeah. It's a steal. I, I, I'm, I, I'm getting it. I don't honestly see this changing. Uh, whatever happens, you know, we're in the uh, November 2020 right now. So whatever happens with the election and uh, it's supply and demand. And some of these ammo manufacturers, they see that if they can control the supply, they can definitely increase their profits. So that there is a, a possible danger there. Um you know, one thing that I say is use the ammo that you have wisely. Um, continue to try and buy more ammo, uh, of course, but gone are the days of me just going to the range and dumping a mag to dump a mag. Yeah. Every round counts now. There are still a lot of different places you can go, um, shops on, you know, physical sh- stores as well as places online. Um, I know one of our favorites is is Ammo Supply Warehouse. Again, it's it, it's hit and miss there. I know the owner, and I know that he is going out of his way to try to find and try to source ammunition. Sometimes, you know, being like a you know, purchasing from from other distributors in order just to have something to offer to people. Um, so that's a place that you can keep looking. There's other places as well online. He just seems to be one of our one of our favorites. He, he's he's a really good guy. Um, another thing you can do is is gun shops. I know our office space is is directly over Lanco Tactical in Elizabethtown, PA. And if you have to in, if you have to come in every day or every other day to get that one box because it's so rationed, then then really that that's what you have to do. Like Chris said, you have to work more now than ever before to to get that ammunition. And I agree. I don't think this is going to change. It's out there. It is out there. You're paying more than you ever have paid before uh, and you're having to work more um like you said gun shops uh get on google see what's in your area you may find a new shop that you've never been in you may find a hidden treasure you may not um yeah. well, tell them about your experience yeah i was just about to jump okay. on that so last month out in october i was out in utah uh doing the elk hunt and uh i'm in a su- super small town it's probably 5,000 people in this town. It literally has one stoplight. It's where I went to high school. <laughs> explains a lot. Yeah, it explains a lot. Yeah, there's a reason why I don't write very much. Anyways, my words no work good for me. I stopped into the bow shop. This small, tiny town has a hunting shop that is dedicated to bow hunting. I went in there thinking, hey, they're dedicated to hunting. Maybe they'll have... Some uh, some ammunition. Yeah, they had 9 mil. It was $0.32 cents a round, and they had a limit of 200 rounds per customer. So I went in. I bought 200 rounds. My wife went in. She bought 200 rounds. My daughter went in, bought 200 rounds, and we repeated. Um, and, it, you know, it's... They were selling the ammunition for what you know, appropriate markup for what they were able to get it for. I don't know if they're, uh, you know, 
they have a really good deal with the distributor. I don't know what it was. They weren't marking it up crazy. I know a lot of people feel like their you know local shops are marking things up. They're not. I, it, it you know you talk to Ammo Supply Warehouse and when he told us what he was paying, it shocked me. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like. Oh, I'm getting this for a hundred dollars a case, but I can see that I can make six hundred dollars if I sell it for seven. No, the distributors are paying the same prices that we are. Yeah, I just saw an article about a company that they were they had you know a bunch of clientele complaining uh, that they couldn't buy in bulk. They went ahead and brought in case size, and no one wanted to buy it at the the normal markup because oh, it was too expensive. So then they dropped it down to the same price that they did to bring it in, thinking that maybe this will bring people into their store and everything. And people are like, oh, well, you can't expect me to pay five fifty for a thousand rounds of of nine mil. And the owner of the shop's like, I paid five fifty for a thousand rounds of ammo. I'm not even charging you a penny over. I am charging what it cost me to put it in my shop. You know. So, so we've been going on a little bit about <laughs> about this, but you know what? In reading the question again, we haven't even going to answer it. So the, the question is, what can I do if I can't find or afford? So uh, he's asking, what are other options when pulling that trigger and, and you know and, and sending that money down the barrel isn't an option? Oh, I hate to say it, this is going to be painful to say, but it's actually pretty true. Airsoft man, um, I. A year ago, I would not think that I'd be saying that statement. Uh, but today, I'm saying that you can get a Glock 19 re- reciprocating slide, a green green gas gun, about $200. You can load them with you know 15 pellets. You can put a couple uh, comforters in a box, get in your basement, and you can practice your draw. You can you know you're not getting the same um, Recoil management, the trigger is different as much as, oh, the, no, the trigger is different. But you're working on other fundamentals. You're working on your sight alignment, your sight picture. Uh, you're look, you're working on your draw, so going through the four-stage draw. And you're getting that feedback of how fast am I able to get this cleared from the holster, get it in the proper orientation, move it up to my second hand, press out, mm-hmm. and get that shot on target. It is giving you some feedback. The other thing that I would say is 22 is still available. It's more expensive than it ever has been. Even, you know, back 2016 when you couldn't find 22 and it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 22 is out there. Uh, most of your, you know, it's that German um, sports company that makes them. They make you know, the, the Glock, uh, 22, they make the Smith and Wesson 22, uh, they make a version of whatever your striker fire pistol is in 22 caliber or there are conversion kits out there. Get one of those and train with that. There's nothing wrong with coming in. You know, the only thing you're, you're sacrificing is you're sacrificing recoil management, but you're still getting rounds downrange. You're still getting training. That is requiring you to find some ammo. So, yeah. Now, those are pretty good options. Um, another thing I was thinking is we're all about being well rounded. So, yes, we teach a lot of firearms classes. That's 
that's our bread and butter. But we also teach a wide variety of, of other things as well that doesn't require bullets. Um, so you can still get get training. You can still do things. Um, like tonight, simul, simultaneously as we're doing this podcast, um, we're also running a, uh, a seminar here at, at our at our headquarters, and that's uh, Abby. She's running a, a four-woman pistol class. So the seminar, she's talking to women and, and teaching them and educating them about the different types of pistols and, and, and whatnot and, and what their an ideal first purchase might be for, for those individuals. Tomorrow, you're going to be running what? Uh, the Austere Environment Survival Series. I will be teaching the uh, Improvised Tools for Defense. And we're going to be doing that tomorrow at, at F3 Tactical down in um, Chantilly, uh, Virginia. Yeah, F3s are good friends of ours. And then after that, we're going to be followed that by the Trauma Tactics class. So, uh, And, you know, the, the trauma, the, the medical training. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not finding something to train on, if you don't want to spend your ammo, that, you got to get the medical training. It's so important. And, you know, if you're sitting there and you're trying to justify your time, you are going to get serious value out of getting those medical classes. Take your family. Absolutely. I know, um, I don't know if I mentioned it on these podcasts or not, but I know I do it in, in the classes. I, uh, I have an idea. You know, I, I think I know what I'm doing. Having um, with my background when it comes to firearms and, and being in gunfights and, and whatnot, but I've yet to experience that here stateside. But in addition to that, I'm a Sockham qualified medic. So uh, I've used those skills much more in the real world, especially here stateside, than I ever have my what I know is in, with my firearm skills. So, I mean, I've been the first person on the scene of an accident. I've um, helped out injured people, you know, stopping the bleeding, putting on tourniquets, uh, and, and, and everything else I've very thankful for my knowledge and background and uh, experience with knowing how to save lives. I've definitely used it a lot more than anything else. And if you guys are looking for something that is more, you know, martial skills orientated, um, we've got our SUT course coming up. Yeah. At which it has a lower round count, uh, you know, because the purpose behind it isn't necessarily shooting. But it's about all the planning and leadership getting you to the shooting. Absolutely. We're going to have a whole podcast dedicated to talking about those small unit tactics. So classes. look forward to those things to yeah. come. All right, let's move on to the next question. All right. So uh, how do I know I'm ready for training? <laughs> <laughs> I, I picked that one. I, uh-huh. I You know, that, that one kind of stood out to me. Um, how do you know that you're ready? Are Just, you breathing? It, it, pretty much. Um the more training you can get, the sooner you can get it, the better off you're going to be. Um, both of us were uh, have commented, uh, watching some of my sons, just how at the ages of you know, 17, almost 18, they have more training and they have a greater ability to handle firearms than either of us did for our first real-world combat deployments with the 82nd. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Those, those boys can run a gun so much better than I ever could. And they don't realize they can. It's <laughs> because they've trained so hard mm-hmm. for so long. It's, nat- it's second nature to them. Yeah. Uh, so why I picked that question, uh, how do I know I'm ready for training? Um, yeah, hey, if you're breathing, you're ready for training. Get training. I see it more along the lines of how do I know what's right 
for me. You know, we have the level system. We have a good explanation of that. Um, you know, we have the seminars. So I think that what the individual is trying to ask is, how do I know what's right for me? And, you know, hey, you as the individual, you know what your capabilities, your limitations are. Hey, I've never touched a gun or I have some experience. You, you got to try. And I will tell you that a lot of people are, it's not the ones that are intimidated. It's the ones that are, uh, they think they're above a certain level. So, well, I don't want to take a level one class because, well, I've been around firearms for 20 years, or I, I was in the army or I was in the Navy. Our level one classes are based off of our basic experience that we are required to do once a year. Well, once a year because it's before every combat rotation, you have to do a cephalic. Yeah. So we, we do the basics. Don't don't hesitate to, well, I, I don't feel like I'm a level two. I'm ready for the, like that movement piece, but I think I'm better than the basic. Come do the basic. Everyone needs that refresher. And, you know, we had that one student who had uh, done some firearms handling courses came to day two of the basic course and realized she should have come to day one as well yeah well and honestly yeah i'm not just trying to, to toot her own horn but honestly i don't care what your skill level is uh you're going to come if you come to day one of our level one pistol class or day one of our level one rifle class you're going to go away from the day learning something and being better um it's just good quality and, and again it's, it's not that i created it myself it's good quality because it's patterned after, after cephalic, and that's you know, that's just pure good good training. All right, your question. What's your next question? Uh, next question. <laughs> I don't know if I want to ask. Read that one. Uh, I'll read it anyways. How can you and Chris be so chill <laughs> when when so many others are all are all amped up? Chris, what do you think about that? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're trying to ask, but I'll say this. Um, a lot of things used to worry me. I used to be concerned with a lot of stuff. Um, am I going to have enough money to, you know, to, to buy food? Um, am I going to be able to get the right car? Uh, is, is my, you know, I don't just all, all these day-to-day things that used to really bother me until I was in my first real gunfight. What an illuminating and enlightening experience. After that first gunfight, you know what? A lot of stuff just doesn't matter anymore. And I can certainly be pretty chill because, hey, there, that's a serious problem. That that should cause a lot of stress, whatever that problem might be. But I'm not going to die from it. So uh, I can I can just relax and, you know, it's, it, it's okay. Life is okay. I spent a lot of time in the ocean as a child. I think that has a lot to do with it. No, I, I, 100%, I agree with you. When you have faced death, and I'm not talking like I was in a scary car accident or I was in, you know. You're talking about like the old school saying, when you see the elephant. Yeah, when I saw the elephant for the first time, yeah. everything was much chill after it, that. Just it, it's not putting, It puts things into per- perspective. Yeah. At the end of whatever the trauma, tragedy that I'm going through, I'm going to walk away and my wife is still going to be there. And my children are still going to be there. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. (laughs) 
and you know it, that perspective does give us a lot of benefits the other thing is there is no need to be amped up i mean when the the time is there to be amped up hit that switch mm-hmm. and and go to the red zone but we don't find ourselves in that day to day and once you i don't know it's that also being in that firefight I know what the red zone is. I've been in the red zone. I've been in that, you know, afterwards when the adrenaline dump is already done and, and I can look back and think, man, I kind of went into autopilot there, you know, that because I've experienced that in day to day, I don't have to go you, into that. You want to hear something funny. So um, I did, I did Afghanistan in 02 and 03. And six months after that, this is all the 82nd. And the six months after that, I did Iraq which was a blast. That was, that was tons of fun in, in 2004. You know, so I had been in, in, in a couple of gunfights and I mean, whatnot. So then, uh, you know, I go to selection, get picked up, and they say I'm going to be a Delta. So uh, here I am in uh, the first four weeks of the 18 Delta school, which I know things that have changed. So some stuff might be out of order and everything now. That was, my gosh, when was that, 2005? I'm an old man. Um, anyways, so I'm... I'm uh, they're going, going through the Delta course. It might have been 2006. Anyways, that's besides the point. Um, so the first four weeks was anatomy and physiology. And I have never drunk from a fire hose so <laughs> hardcore than that. Man, I'm just a nug. And I'm like struggling to, to, to keep up with, with... It was something like three years, four years worth of, of university level anatomy and physiology being thrown at us in four, four weeks. I've never studied so hard in my life. Anyways... Um, after a couple of weeks, they start testing us. So there's a test, if I recall, like every three, four days or whatever. And uh, I can vividly remember. And then you guys who, who've been to the schoolhouse um, in that time frame, shoot, he still might be there. You all know Mr. Geetson. So Mr. Geetson comes walking in the room. And he's got Scantron sheets. He's got some number two pencils and he has his test. And I remember looking at Mr. Geetson and I had that fight or flight response. I could <laughs> feel that that wave of epinephrine just coursing through my body and I started to panic and it happened a couple times um every time we'd walk in I'd panic oh no if I fail this test they're going to kick me out of the course I can't get kicked out it, I can't tell you about the stress that self-induced stress that was there so it was probably like the third or fourth time he comes walking in and I feel that adrenaline dump and all of a sudden I realized wait a minute no one's going to kill me <laughs> <laughs> and I realized man I, I'm freaking out that self-induced stress and, and I'm 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 pinging more than any gunfight that I'd been in prior you know to that where, where people were trying to kill me. I just thought it was, it was, it was just funny. And uh, then immediately, once I realized that, I'm like, okay, that's right. This is silly. I'm not going to die. So what if I flunk? Then I finally was able to, to calm down, finally able to, uh, t- to relax, and then you know, able to, to perform and actually pass those tests. So uh, anyways, that's just, that's just funny, that uh, self-induced stress and then that realization that, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to die. I can be chill. It's okay. So what if I flunk? I flunk. I did my best. <laughs> Anyways, that's a that's a pretty funny question. How can you two, you you guys be so chill? All right, you got a question? Yes. So I picked this one up because I kind of took this one personal. <laughs> um, so, ye who wrote this, you know who you are. Uh, why do you hate the pro timer? <laughs> I have one on my belt half the time, but I don't use it very often. I don't hate it. Well, I know me. Um, for a lot of the classes, I don't like bringing the pro timer out 
Um, not until, I guess, sometimes in, in the in our second level classes, and then also it's appropriate in, in the level three classes. Um, I just, I don't like that pro timer because too many people look at that as that that's validation for, for whatever they're doing. I would rather people uh, take the time to do things right and get good repetitions in and start learning what right is like before uh, we add that particular stress with that pro timer. We stress them out in other ways. There's other things that we do, but too many people just, they, the pro timer is an extremely beneficial, beneficial and useful tool when used right. But too many people just, de- in my opinion, just default right it, away to, yes, to, to that pro yes. timer. And uh, then it, it actually, by doing that right away, it actually starts to, to build in uh, bad habits. And uh, it actually, in my opinion, causes imperfect and improper uh, procedures. I relate the pro timer to the 225-pound bench press. So I didn't, no, I'm not a sports fan, so I didn't know where this came from. But I had a teammate that was just obsessed with how many times, how many reps he could do of 225 pounds. And his form just sucked. I mean, it was garbage. But he was solely focused on being able to do as many reps as possible of that one exercise. And so one day I'm like, hey, why? Well, because I guess, he explained, to get into the NFL, there's this thing where they have to, they rate them on how many times they can bench press 225 pounds. And this is a metric that they use to, to calibrate across the whole crew of uh, initiates into the NFL. I don't mm-hmm. know how it works. I'm not a sports guy. Uh, some black magic stuff. Anyways. And I looked at him and I was like, so when are you trying out for the NFL? You're, <laughs> you're a green beret. And he was like, well, I'm not. So, because he had defaulted to that was what the standard was. If mm-hmm. you could do this exercise, you know, 25 times, it meant you were good, that you were strong, you were, you, were, you know, of quality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the pro timer is in, in, in a lot of places. They default to it as, well, I need to be as fast as possible. Yes, we, fast is, and accurate, fast and accurate and doing things properly. So... If we start to depend on that and don't know why. So if we are just, well, I need to get my gun out of the holster and get that first shot in sub-second. Why? Why are you trying to do that? Because you saw someone on YouTube who is a competition shooter that does quick draw competitions out of a cowboy-style holster with a, a single-shot revolver? You know, what, what is the metric behind your pro timer? Mm-hmm. Is it something that we're bringing in to induce stress? Is it something that we're doing to, you know, to qualify you? I know in certain courses you have to do, you have to meet a certain time standard. Well, we, we do that. Um, we do that in, in our cephalic flat range and in some of the more advanced stuff where we, we bring in CTEs, critical task evaluations. So we're using the pro timer for that, but that's just for a specific thing that after they have learned how to do it, after they have, have gained the muscle memory. So, uh, and they're working with, with their, you know, real holster and everything, you know, speaking specific about the draw and they know how to do the draw and that four count movement. Um, then, yeah, then, then we'll put a pro timer on them and, and that's good. That's a, it's a good way to, uh, to check. Yes, know. exactly. It, it, it gives them a water line to mm-hmm. reach for. It says, this is where the watershed is. This is where the majority of the operators fall. 
Mm-hmm. Some above, but majority are below this this line, okay? Well, and, and where we place that, where we do that, is in conjunction with, with the stress chute. So here you have these CTEs, and, you know, from the draw, do, do the mag change, you know, or whatever, transition. There's a whole series of them that you do. So it's checking those teeny tiny little individual acts. And then you combine that with a full-on stress shoot where you're, you know, you're running, you're moving from different points, got different positions, and you're doing it for, for time as well as for, for hits. So now instead of just that, that pro timer, oh, I, I got the, you know, I don't know, draw, then shoot mag change and get that second shot off in one point you know six seconds you know instead of just doing that now we're putting everything together and it's more realistic as they're as they're have that long dedicated uh um stress shoot yeah so to answer the question i don't hate the pro timer you don't hate the pro timer no but we see it as a, a tool to be used in the appropriate places it is not a default we do not throw it out every time because that's, that's hitting the easy button. And we want to make sure people are learning, not being stressed. Same reason why we don't yell. We want you to learn, learn the techniques, learn the draw. I'm more concerned that you know the, the four phases of your draw than the fact that you can do it in sub-second. Yeah. Because if you know the four phases and you continue to do your dry fire drills and you continue to do your homework, guess what? Your time will come down. Absolutely. Whose turn is it? Your, Your turn. My Your turn. turn. Ask a question. Last question was mine. Okay. Uh, well, we'll, we'll hit this one up. Um, free advertisement. <laughs> Someone asked, "What are some shops that you recommend?" Um, well, we like Lanco <laughs> in Elizabethtown. It's a good gun shop. There's good people there. And the Adventurers Guild in Harrisburg. Oh wait, no, no, different podcast. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I'm a bit of a nerd. Yeah, you are nerd. Uh, and and for those of you who got that, you're a bunch of nerds too. I hope someone got it. <laughs> um, got a shop. Okay, so I I'm extremely new to the area. Okay. Um, I have been recently, you know, because of the rareness of equipment, I've been going around to the different gun shops here in in Pennsylvania, central Pen- central southern Pennsylvania. Is that where we're at? Central. Yeah, yeah central. Okay. Um. And I wish I remembered all their names. The one in Mechanicsburg. Um, Spar? Yeah. Spar. Uh, good selection. I, they've been extremely busy when I've been in there. Yeah. So I can't attest to the helpfulness of the the individuals that work there. Uh, of course, Lanco. Everyone down there, every question I've ever asked, they've had an answer. I've asked dumb questions just to test people because I'm kind of a jerk that way, and they didn't know me. Um, I did think it was fun on Veterans Day to have my friend call in and be like, hey, I heard that you're giving free magazines to all veterans. What kind of identification do I need to bring in? <laughs> what did they say to that? He never did it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's too bad. I was, that's trying get, I was trying to get Chris to do it, but Chris is a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, another place around here that that's uh... – I've known the owner, and they're all right. Uh, is seven one seven, seven one seven Armory. That's right. Yeah, they're good people over there. Um, other places like we already mentioned F three, but I think F three and uh, Jimmy and Chief. I think that is the greatest gear shop on the East Coast 
north of Fort Bragg. I highly recommend uh, if you've got a question, you want gear, kit, armor, whatever, go, go talk to them. Call them. Go visit their shop. It's it's a nice size shop, but it's not you know super huge. What really sets them apart is you know it's good business practice to treat people good, treat your customers good. And uh, there's some people that do that and do a good job of that because that's good business practice. Then there's other people who do it because they genuinely care. And that's Jimmy and that's that's Chief. They genuinely care. They take care of people. And I have nothing but high praise for them. So if you've never been into F3, go uh, go check them out. Also, uh, another thing with F3, another thing that they do is if you become uh, a team member, an LTAC team member, you get you know discounts and stuff on um, on training uh, almost all live fire classes that you repeat are half off, and in other stuff, one of the things is you get a, a discount at F3 if you uh, if you're a team member. So F3 is a great place. Um, anything you think around Campbell that you like? Oh, so if you're down in Tennessee, uh, I definitely definitely recommend Tennessee uh, Gun Country. Tennessee Gun Country. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a funny thing. People are mixed. Down in in the Fort Campbell area, some were like, "Oh, those people are so rude." But I'm like, I've never had a bad experience with them. Uh, in my opinion, they are almost the standard of what a gun shop that has an indoor range should be. Uh, when my wife went to purchase her uh, concealed carry pistol, they would not sell it to her until she took that exact exact same pistol as a rental gun downstairs and put a couple magazines through it. They gave her the ammunition. Now, that was, you know, a few years ago. I don't know if they're doing that now. Um, but they wanted to make sure that she was 100% comfortable with her decision. It wasn't that they, I mean, I was there with her. And I was sitting there saying things. And they're like, just stop. It's her gun. If she has a question, she'll ask it. I was like, okay. I highly recommend them. Um Sadly, I will say that a lot of the like tactical companies uh, have gone out of business. Like, yeah, Eagles of War, it's gone online well, now. It's a hard business model. Yeah, um, with with so much everything being online. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's that's going back to F three. That's a testament to them because they're just so good and they care so much that they can still uh, be successful. And, you know what I recognize a lot about F three is some of the relationships that they have. So, like, people ask us, what kind of body armor should I get? And the first thing I always say is velocity. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've worn, for, you know, work purposes, I, I wore Cry uh, because that's what I was issued, and the JPC is great. I'm really pleased with the stuff that uh, Velocity makes. So when they're like, well, where do I get it? I tell them F3. Yeah. Yeah, you can go on Velocity's website, and you can try and order something, but then you are... Uh, John Smith, regular day civilian ordering something when you have, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale Police Department ordering a thousand vests. You know, who do you think, what order do you think is going to get filled first? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that velocity. I mean, they're, they're doing the right thing, you know. Um, but because Jimmy's right there, yeah. he seems to be able to get product. I don't know what his magic is, but he doesn't, he doesn't have like a massive warehouse or anything with it. But he's able to get stuff. Yeah. So I recommend people go through him and try and get it because he's going to get it. Yeah. It may take you a week or it may take you two. You know what the real secret to that, to F3 is? Bolt. Bolt? Bolt, yeah. Bolt the dog. Yep. Oh, yep. Yep. 
So uh, I can only think of one other place than Rio right now that uh, I think we should show a, a shout out to. And that is uh, if you're ever hungry and you're looking for a good burger and you just happen to be in Amman, Jordan, you, <laughs> you want to go to Fatty Dabs. Close, okay. close uh-huh. to the embassy. Right. Do, uh-huh. do you concur? I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, if we're going to do a restaurant of choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my new local restaurant, now that I'm, I'm here, is the Helena Cafe in uh, Mechanicsburg. <laughs> I, I am a big fan of Mediterranean food, yeah. and theirs is on point. Yep. So check them out. Cool. All right. I guess that's enough of that. Okay. Next question. All right. Here's a question. And it, you know, we've really got to get the fuzzy teddy bear on this. I think this question's for him, but we'll try and play around with it. Um, is competition a good place to train for stress? Oh, that's that's a good question. That's a good question. Well, yes, I'll I'll say yes. Uh, competition shooting, you know, with um, all the different formats of it, it's it, it's good in a way that it is causing stress. And what is that stress? The pro timer, you want to get a better time or, you know, which includes hits too. You don't want to get, get misses, obviously. Um, but that's really the stress is you need to to beat that time and beat that score. And that's that's beneficial um, up to a point. So feeling that stress, managing that stress, and still being able to function, still being able to perform, still being able to function, um, that's that's very beneficial. So in that sense, there's nothing wrong with, with competition. There's a lot to be gained from, a lot to uh, a lot of growth that, that can be involved. My issue with competition shooting, though, is if you want to win, you're going to have to shave uh, techniques. You're going to have to violate uh, – let me rephrase it. You'll use techniques that will violate and, and shave off uh, specific principles. Um, and that's – that's the the nature of the beast. If you want to shoot balloons faster than the next guy, you're going to do different things that aren't the best way to do things in a real fight. Um, the draw is is a perfect example, and that's the one that I think we probably go to most, where that competition draw, and if you have that competition uh, holster, where there's really it's not securing the pistol, the pistol's just kind of resting there. Um, the fastest way to point A to point B is a straight line. So you're going immediately from your pistol out to that full presentation in order to, to get there faster. And yes, that is a faster draw. So you're out there, you're hitting the steel or, or whatever, whatever it might be. Got it. Contrast that to the draw, the way you should do it if you're in a fight. And again, why am I drawing this pistol? I'm drawing this pistol because one, my long rifle is going down. And I'm already in the middle of that fight, so I need to get that pistol out fast because I'm in a fight. Or two, if I'm carrying concealed or something, as a responsible adult, I'm making the conscious decision to draw that pistol because my life is being threatened or the lives of others are being threatened. So again, I'm, I'm in that fight. And usually, if I'm going to that pistol, I'm already behind the power curve. So we do the draw a specific way where, at one, I'm grasping the pistol and removing any retention. At two, it's smoothly out of the holster and it's oriented towards the threat, whatever that might be. If I'm at appendix or if I'm carrying like my duty holster, it's going to be right there on my hip. If I'm carrying, if say my wife who, who might be carrying concealed in her purse or maybe, you know, some other location, again, one, you're grasping that pistol. Two, it's smooth, smoothly uh, um, drawn from the holster and then pointed towards that threat. 
And then at three, you're meeting it underneath your chin at chest level and it's close to your body. Why? Because we're protecting it. You want that pistol close to you so you can protect it if that threat is right there on top of you. <clears throat> so if you're in the middle of a real fight and you're ha- you, your default is that competition draw, yeah, it's out of the holster, but then it's out uh, like halfway between your body and full extension where it's kind of hard to protect it. And that threat could be batting it out of the way. That threat can be right on top of you. You're not be- you won't be able to employ it. But if, it's, if you're used to the four count draw, or now at three, it's underneath my chin at chest level, I can protect it. I have leverage. I've got two hands on it. And if I have to, I can shoot right there. But also it's going to be much harder for someone to knock it out of the way or to take the pistol from me unless, you know, or the other way, the other draw, it's, it's out there almost offering them to, to take it away. So maybe I'm getting a little long-winded on that. Um, but they are definitely two different types of, of shooting styles. I think, I think a lot of it goes into, am I doing a competition because it gives me an opportunity to do something where I'm shooting rounds, and it gives me an opportunity to have some sort of stressor, the clock, other, other competitors. Um, yeah, awesome. The moment that you go into it with a different mindset of, I want to be first. That's when we start to, that's when you start to make those changes where you start to memorize the stage and you're paying more attention to, I have to shoot these targets in the sequence less about, I'm going to go up and I'm going to shoot the targets. Yeah. You know, um, that's when it, it slips more into the gaming and then the stress is, you know the game <laughs> you say that i i really enjoyed it's fantasy but i really enjoyed john wick one i thought the shooting in that was uh it was more realistic in real time i was really excited to watch john wick 2 and all that was was just a glorified uh you know three gun competition you know where you could see everything was just set up as stages and you're just running through and i, I don't i didn't enjoy it nearly as much uh anyways side note <laughs> I happen to be a big fan of all three John Wick films. Um, and yes, uh, chapter two was definitely three gun competition. Yeah. Chapter three is change magazine after you fired three rounds, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. The attack mag reload. I mean, just in case. Throw that <laughs> magazine. You don't need that anymore. No. But um, so, so I think we both agree that competition can be good. Yeah. I, I would be careful about selecting your, your competition. Um, you know, look for things that are stock. So not a highly modified, you know, where you got guys that are running recoil reduction, this and the specialty ammo and all that. Stay with something that is as close to your everyday carry package, whatever that may be. And do that. If you can find some of the, like the blind two gun stuff where you don't know what the stage is as you run up, the yellow targets are pistol, the blue targets are rifle and, and the white ones don't shoot them. Uh, those things, I think, are good. Um, and, yeah, anything that's going to and, and give you that stress and be able to judge your ability to handle stress and the firearm, I think, is a good thing. You know, we have uh, that Freedom Day coming up the Saturday after Christmas. Wasn't trying to give a plug for that uh, at all, but hey. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of different... Anyways, you can read about it. I'm not trying to do a sales pitch, but one of the things that we are going to do is we're going to have that shooting competition, and it is going to be a two-gun, i.e. you're going to use a pistol and a rifle, but it's going to be set up in a way that if you approach it like 
I don't know, like like a standard shooting comp, you're not going to do very well. But if you approach it as in uh, this is a, a fight and I need to fight to uh, save my life, you're going to have a good time and uh, you'll do well. That, that should be a good time. Okay, here we go. We can talk about this. I've been to one of your level one carving classes, rifle classes. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, why do you s stress a good stance yet you say that you will move in a fight? Doesn't that mean stance is not important? I hear that often. Uh, you know, why, why do you focus so much on, on getting the fundamentals? When you're going to put me up against a barricade and the fundamentals are going to go out the window. No. The fundamentals are, are not. You may sacrifice one, you, you know, as you're walking. But if you're doing everything right, it's going to fall in line. One of the reasons why we teach the stance that we teach is to set you up for movement. You know, we, we're not teaching the Asasalese uh, 1980 cop stance anymore because we're trying to prepare you for that movement. Sometimes you're going to make that shot with your support side foot to the rear. But the idea is that you recognize that and you compensate slash you get into proper position and get where you need to be. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, at Safawak, <clears throat> excuse me, not not at our class, even though we do it at our class, but in the real uh, Special Forces Safawak, when they do the flat range, you know, they, one of the things they focus on are those eight principles. And and I've seen people like, well, there might be eight, but really there's only six you need to worry about. There's really only four you need to worry about. Really, there's only two principles you need to worry about. No, the more you understand those eight principles or those eight fundamentals, the more it becomes ingrained. Just like you said, the better you're able to compensate for it when you can't get into that. So I want you to get in the right stance. I want you to know what right feels like. So then while you are moving or when you do have to get up to a barricade or when you are using another point of cover, your body then is going to be better better able to adjust and make whatever on-the-spot you know corrections that, that you need in order to maintain a good, stable shooting platform. And, you know, you, you see it when you're doing walking. The, the people that they, they get into what they think the proper stance is and then you say walk and they completely change. Yeah. Versus getting into the stance that we're teaching and you say walk and they just start walking. They don't have to re-stand up their body or, or change anything. They just start movement. And that's the whole purpose. We're building a fundamental base that will work in a broad set of categories. So when we are teaching movement, when we are going from one point to another, walking slowly, or when we're running from one point of cover to the next, uh, when we're operating as a team and we're bounding um, to provide protection, or when we're doing close quarters combat inside of a built-up area and we're clearing rooms, nothing changes. As long as you understand that basic stance and what that correct stance is, you're naturally be able to flow and do all of those things instead of, oh, now it's time for me to learn something new. Yep. So that's why it's important to understand and learn that correct stance and build it into your, your memory so it becomes natural. It's second nature. And that will prepare you for everything else that you need to do while you're shooting. Cool. Uh, so I like this one. I think this is kind of a, a loaded question. It's a broad, broad spectrum Uh Gives us a lot to talk about. Uh, 
what can I do to prepare for 2021? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> what can you do to prepare? Well, buy ammo now why it's cheaper than what it's going to be two months from now. Build a bunker. <laughs> Buy ammunition now. <laughs> Maybe for, while it's cheaper than what it's going to be in a couple months. Maybe some magazines too. You know, I, so I did that the other day. I, I came in here to Lenko. Um, I didn't need to buy anything. I came in with Chris. He needed to grab a couple mm-hmm. things. And I was oh, like, did, did he get those those mags? Those 10 round mags? Yeah, he, okay, he got the 10 round mags. Uh, not that he lives in New Jersey or anything crazy like that. He's going deer hunting and needed 10 round mags. Um, I had to put that th- out there. I don't want people thinking my friend is weird. Uh, <laughs> um, I went ahead and I grabbed two AR mags and uh, two Glock mags because, well. Because, yeah. It, you know, hey, how can I prepare for 2021? I'm working on my food storage. I just moved. I'm in a new house. So when I go to the grocery store, I'm doing, I'm starting all over with a lot of things. I'm buying an extra can of soup. I am buying an extra can of chicken. Um, the little things that aren't difficult. Uh, I've noticed that toilet paper is becoming crazy again. So when I go to the store, guess what? I They only got a four-pack? Well, guess what? I buy a, buy a four-pack every yeah. time I go to the store. Um, start, starting to prepare that way. You know, that's if you know us or if you've been to our classes or... or I guess that's why you're listening. You don't know us. Um, <laughs> well, they could have, like, we yeah. have people passing around, yeah. letting other people know they should listen. We are both really big proponents of uh, being self-reliant and and food storage and 72-hour kits and, and that kind of stuff. We have a couple different seminars that we focus just on that. And uh, at, with, with the unknown, and, and who knows what 2021 is going to bring, I echo what you're saying. Yes, food is, is, is pretty important, all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, from an experience I had last year, it doesn't take like uh, a global pandemic or, or political unrest or, or crazy people in the streets to cause you to have to rely on some preparations you've made. Last October, we had a horrible windstorm down in Tennessee. We were without power for five days. My children loved it. <laughs> They were like, this is the apocalypse training camp that dad has always prepared us for. They knew how to, uh, you know, we had solar lanterns, so they knew how to make light. Uh, They knew how to cook food. We did a bunch of different little projects. They had a great time. It was just a weather thing. You know, weather, um, weather, weather, weather. All right, so 2020, or 2021, um, January 1st, New Year, everything goes back to normal. Like ammo prices plummet, uh, the political spectrum becomes calm, people start getting along, their kittens running in the street, everyone's happy. No more global pandemic, you can eat in restaurants. Guess what? You still need to prepare. <laughs> you, you still need to have food storage. Uh, you still should have, you know, gasoline, generator, those type things because it could be an act of nature. It could be um, you could lose your job. There are all sorts of things that by having those small little bits of preparation make it so easy to weather the storm. You just, okay, so we don't have power for the next five days. Well, guess what? We know exactly how we're going to charge our phones because we have battery backups, you know, so we can still communicate with our friends and family. We know how to light the house. We know how to heat the house. 
you know what we're going to do for uh, preparing for 2021? We're going to get uh, that repeater set up. Yes. Yes, Dan, you need to come up here. We talked the other day. I have a job for you. Darn right. All right. I guess I'm down to just one more question. Uh, that one. Okay, yeah, so the last question here is, wow, this is a loaded one. <laughs> press check or no press check? So that's a interesting question. It seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of heated feelings, and very people get very emotional about this question. Almost as much as nine mil versus forty five, or uh, just bring up a nineteen eleven, and, and people tend to lose their minds. But you know, nineteen eleven, John Browning, he's part of my tribe, so I, I kind of like nineteen elevens. Anyways, um, press check or no press check? I will say this for the the no press check. Um, if you have properly loaded your firearm, then that round is in battery. Then for you to do anything, you know, do that press check to, to break that uh, that round in battery, now you could potentially cause a self-induced malfunction. It might not be properly chambered afterwards. Uh, you know, there's, So you know it's good by doing that press check. Now you've purposely have broken that, and, uh, and, and maybe it's not properly seated in. Again, for, for any number of reasons. Again, we're talking very general with rifles or, or pistols or, or whatever the case may be. So I understand that. There are some really good uh, techniques that you can use like with an AR. Um, so you see which, which side the round is in. It's on the right side or it's on the left side, uh, depending on the magazine and depending on how, if it's fully loaded or not. So then you go ahead and you chamber that round. Then you drop the mag and look. And if now the next round is on the opposite side than what it just was, and you know the only other place that round would be is in the chamber. So you're good to go. So there's, there's things like that, depending on your system, that uh, that you don't necessarily have to do a press check. Now, do I like press checks? Do I do them? And my answer is yes, I do do them. Why? Because I have made it almost my entire adult life the profession of arms. And because of that, with my experience, when you're around firearms all the time, when you have them loaded on you all the time... Um, I'm a human and I make mistakes. Uh, good, well, uh, an acquaintance of mine, really good guy. Uh, I'd, I'd like to call him a good friend. Um, he's got more experience than me. Uh, he's done some more hardcore things than I have. He's currently off uh, doing some very hardcore things since he has, has left his military experience. But as a Green Beret, um, he told me that they were in Afghanistan. They hit a compound and... Uh, cleared the compound and then there was a, a a tunnel so then they said hey we need someone to check this out so he volunteered hey i'll be that vietnam era tunnel rat so we ditched some of his kit grabbed his uh, beretta which is what he had at the time flashlight started crawling through uh that tunnel came into a, an opening with a room thank goodness no one was in there nothing was in there and uh he's you know scanned around saw you know the equipment and things in there then he came out of the tunnel and then as he came out of the tunnel, one of his teammates said, hey, bro, where's your mag? And then that's when he looked at the bottom of his bread and realized that somehow, as he's crawling through, um, he had lost his mag. And then he racked the slide back. And that's when he realized that uh, he had a dead man's gun. He wasn't chambered. He knew it was chambered. Uh, he went on this on this mission, knowing in his mind that it was chambered because it was always chambered. But with that sure knowledge, uh, he just cleared 
that little tunnel and that room with an empty gun. Um, and I know him and he is a squared away guy. Um, and I share this and I've shared it in a lot of different times in, in, uh, in classes because hey, I look at him and uh, he's more squared away than me. At least that's my perception of him. You know, he's a good guy. I, I, I don't know. I'm just someone to look up to. So I'm thinking if this guy who's that squared away, he can make that mistake. Anyone can make that mistake. So because we are human, because we make mistakes, that's why I'm in favor of doing press checks. You're not going to hurt a thing by uh, checking the condition of your firearm, making sure that it is chambered if it needs to be chambered or unloaded if, if it needs to be loaded. I mean, unloaded. Um, so that, that's why we do them. And that's why I'm, you know, that's why I like them. And all those arguments, like I started this, this conversation, you know, before, you know, why not to do it well? Because you can cause that self-induced malfunction. Yes, that's absolutely true. But uh, until I'm perfect, I'm going to be doing press checks because uh, I can make that same mistake. And that's how I prevent making that mistake. Chris, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, I think that a lot of the argument comes from people. And I don't mean to call anyone out or pick on anyone. So if you take this personal, um, when you are dry, when you are well-fed and well-rested, it's very easy to point fingers. It's very easy to be like, oh, I would never leave the wire without a magazine in my gun. I can tell the weight. All right. that That's great. I can too when I'm 100%. Uh, I have done the 72-hour operation where I have been out and had difficult things happen in those 72 hours. Come back and have something else happen and have to roll out again. You have to check yourself. And more importantly, you have to do buddy checks. If you're operating at that level, we're talking, we're going out to do an operation. I'm not talking about I'm on the range. If you have a malfunction on the range, great. You got a good training opportunity, slap rack pull. But in a combat situation, you want to do everything you can not to slap rack pull. Doing that press check and your buddy checking you, that's going to aid you. Now, the whole argument that I, and I hear it all the time, well, you, you could, you know, your firearm couldn't be in battery. Okay. That's why we know what it looks like. That's why when you look at your, you know, striker fire pistol, whatever, Glock, uh, can you not tell that that thing is in battery? Can you not see that that thing didn't go fully back into battery? Are you not paying attention to your equipment? All right. Push the back in. Make sure it's good. Holster up. Your AR platform. You got a chart. Sorry, you have a um, Ford Assist for a reason. I know what the reason is, uh, the Air Force. Um, but, hey, it's a tool. We can use it. Your SCAR. One of the reasons why it has to have that stupid reciprocating charging handle is so that you can have a Ford Assist type mechanism. Your AK, you have a method to tap that thing into battery. That should be part of your press check, making sure that it goes back into battery. You should be checking that. And if it isn't, then something is wrong with your system that you don't want to roll out the wire with. You need to fix whatever that is right then and there. Doing that press check and it not going back into battery that just identified there's something wrong with your weapon system. Fix it. You would rather that happen then instead of later. I think the argument comes from the armchair quarterback who is very well rested, 
is in peak condition who, well, I've gone and walked in the woods for two days at a time. That's great. Um, have you been in a high stress situation for 72 hours? And I'm talking life and death, calling for fire, dropping bombs, and then rolling out. Because the time that my gun wasn't loaded, that was the scenario. We were doing a QRF after we had done a mission. And we were standing in the circle. Yep, all right, we go and press check. I'm doing my secondary. Secondary is good. Holster up my pistol. Go to press check my rifle. What am I not seeing? I'm not seeing that bright yellow. It's nighttime. My buddy's in there with a the flashlight shining on my weapon so I can see it, and he can see it. And he's like, Chris, you don't have a round chamber. Out of my primary. I was tired. I was fatigued. I'm not saying that saved my life, but it had every potential of saving my life because I fixed the problem right then and there. So, um, 45, it's a God's caliber. The Lord <laughs> designed it. Press checks, do them. Okay. If you're afraid of doing them, practice to get it right. Just like anything. It's a manual of arms. If you consider yourself someone that can be counted on, you have to be able to trust yourself a hundred percent. I'm not saying trust yourself blindly. You have to do checks. When we jump out of aircraft, we don't just slap our chute on and go. We do a JP, JMPI, all right? Jump master pre-inspection, all right? Every time. I put my, my harness on, and I walk over to my buddy, and he goes through the sequence and touches everything and makes sure that everything is in proper order. He's not saying, you're an idiot. You don't know how to put chute on. He's saying things happen. So, yes, passionate subject. Press checks. Yep. Press checks. And I've had this conversation with, you know, with different people. And uh, for someone to not do a press check because that's just a matter of pride. And it's just silliness. After you've been taught, you know, that's anyways. All right. Do you, you have one more question or is that, is that it? I, I do have one more question. So this, question. Is, this should be the last this, one. This should right? be the last question. Ten. All right. Yes. Um, just to get the last word on press checks. Huh? I've stood in the circle of professionals, real professionals. And without someone saying, all right, it's time to do press checks. I noticed everyone in the circle was doing a press check. Yep. No one told them to do it. But because they were professionals... They knew what needed to be done. Yes, I got the last word on that one. <laughs> I'm sure someone, someone right now is, yeah, I'm going to be typing away. And blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's okay. I'll put it in the next comment section. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's end with a fun one. Okay. Okay. I'm almost scared. Yes. So uh, how do I get my family into training? <laughs> uh, now, I picked this one because, uh, you know, he, You've got a family of 10. Mm-hmm. I've got a family of six. Families are important to us. Yes. So it's easy for us. Uh, yeah, go do it. <laughs> I, I, you know, your, your son, your, your boys, your daughter, they're out there. You, you actually have to tell your children they can't train. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're cheating. So I don't even want to talk about 
my children. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, you know, talk about my parents. Oh, very good. Very good. So, like uh, you know, my, my mom, um, growing up, she didn't want any kind of contention in the house. She, she didn't want me or my brother to, to wrestle or, or, or do anything. And, uh, she didn't like firearms. She doesn't like violence. She doesn't like anything like that. So when, um, when, uh, now I'm all grown up, got a wife and got kids and having a conversation with her at first, her attitude was the same. And then a conversation with her, I'm like, well, mom, what would you do if I'm not around or, or Abby's not around and it's just you and some of your grandkids and somebody, you know, trying to break in or something without hesitation. Oh, I would do anything I possibly could to, you know, to protect my grandkids. Like, oh, so, so what does that mean, mom? Well, I would do anything. Po- so mom, come on. I see how big you are and, and, uh, you know, how much you weigh and, and, and your personality. So w- what do you mean? You're going to go out from the frying pan. You're going to pull a kitchen knife. What, what do you mean? Well, and then she'd never really thought about it before. But as soon as she started thinking about, well, I would do anything, and I believe her, she would do anything up to, you know, sacrifice her own life to protect her grandkids, then all of a sudden she realized, oh, well, I guess I would be able to use a firearm because no one's going to hurt my grandkids. Oh, I guess then that means I need to buy a firearm. Oh, I guess that means I need to learn how to use a firearm. Oh, maybe I should train. And she took those logical steps. Once she finally realized, oh, there's something that I love enough that I would do anything to protect, she wouldn't do that for me. She clearly doesn't <laughs> love me as much as she loves her grandkids. Um, she's quite the opposite I, um, growing up. But as soon as she began, you know, it's still the phrase from Stephen R. Covey, you know, begin with the end in mind. As soon as she um, thought I would do anything to protect my grandkids, so that means I need to learn how to use a firearm, that's what got her training. And that's what got her, you know, coming to some of our classes as well as going other places and, and just spending time at the range, learning how to be proficient with her pistol because, you know, love of her grandkids. I think for a lot of people, um, for them to take that leap, they just need to, to think about it. You know, what is that thing that is worth protecting? And once they realize, oh, make that logical step, this is worth protecting, then, uh, then it's kind of a natural progression. There have been a couple of individuals who've come to classes that I've ran who politically are extremely liberal, um, didn't like firearms, but these individuals, and independently, you know, over the couple of years I've met people like this, they came to that conclusion that, well, so what if, you know, I've been raised that guns are bad, I'm now a, a, a husband and I have kids, and this is a crazy world and I want to protect them. We had one guy who, bless his heart, he <laughs> bought a Glock because he wanted to protect his family. He bought it, took it home in the package, didn't open it up or in the box and put it up in his closet. And it sat there for a year and it took him that year to finally build up to, to be able to take that first step and and come to to class. And, you know, so to answer that question, what can we do? I really think just help people to think it through this logical conclusion. There is no help that's coming. If there is an emergency, you're it. So what are you going to do to protect you and yours? And once they come to that realization that help is not coming, that I'm actually have to be a responsible individual, then uh, those responsible individuals, they seek out training. You know, I, I see this question. This is where I, I went with this question. Okay. Um, yes, we want to get our families training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm a firearms instructor. You're a owner of a firearms instructing company. Mm-hmm. 
who do you send your kids to? Who do you send your wife to? Who do I send my wife to? Well, you know, I, I can cheat because I own this company, but have you noticed? I've given my children the very basics, and then I've gotten them to a class, and then I have almost universally purposely not been there. That's the point that I, I'm coming to is sometimes we think, um, you know, I can teach my kids anything, right? I like to relate to my wife. She tried to learn the piano. She didn't learn the piano until she took lessons from someone outside the house. My kids, my wife can teach them to play the piano. Do they practice? Do they do it for mom? No, they don't. Get the family to someone else. If you're struggling getting the family to come to the range with you, they know you. It, it's a different dynamic. Get them to a class. I'm not saying that, you know, and as men, I'm targeting men here. It's a, as human beings, we have an ego. You know, it's hard to let go of that. My wife, she's going to take a class. I'm not going to be the primary instructor for that class. Jared's going to be the primary instructor. Or we're going to do it on a day where he can be at one end of the range and I can be on the other. Mm -hmm. It's not that my wife doesn't respect me. It's not that uh, Jared's a better instructor. It's that it's from a different perspective. It's a different person. You're not trying to, you know, your son isn't trying to impress you. He can go and learn these things and, and make these mistakes. Uh, you know, the other avenue that I think is, is phenomenal, I love we have some families that have been taking – uh, the land nav classes, fathers and sons coming out. Uh, you know, I think that is awesome. Some of the, you know, non-firearms related courses are great to come as a family. Uh, the, the two day land nav, it's a camping trip. Yeah, it is. You know, come husbands, you know and, wives. And that's right. Every time we've ran that, we've had yeah. families yeah, come out. Families come yeah. out. And I think that's awesome Yeah, because it's so hard in this day and age to, I mean, you and I have tried it a couple times to, oh, hey, we want to go camping this weekend. Everything's booked. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's, you know, the vid or whatever that uh, there's nothing else to do, but it seems like all the good places are booked up. When we do the land nav, we've got all that locked in. We've yeah. got the campsite. Um, you know, you come out, you learn some skills, you learn some, you know, land navigation, some survival stuff. Uh, you're there with your kids. It's you know, this is not just fathers and sons. It's fathers and daughters, mothers and daughters. It's open to everyone. Um, I think that's a great family training thing where, you know, maybe a family firearms class, you, for, for okay, take my family. My youngest is 10. We couldn't do it as a family, yeah. you know. Um, but, but the closest thing, at least, that we offer that you could do that, again, is, you know, here's the other another plug. For that Freedom Day, where oh yeah, yeah, uh, and not the competition side, but um, we're gonna have stations for rifle and for pistol and for shotgun, and you'd bring your firearms and you bring your your ammunition, whatever you want to shoot, and it's I think it's like twenty five bucks uh, a pop, really. That's just paying for the um, for the range fee, and then you come and shoot a drill. You're done with the drill. Go to the end of the line and shoot it again, and and we'll be switching the drills out. So again, it's a very low key. A low stress way of, you know, if you've been to training and your family hasn't, bring them out to that. Let them you associate know, it, and see some people. I think that's a, a great one for like 
mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know, like our parents, you know, uh, the, the older generation uh, who may not want to take a full class. You know, my, my, my mom is uh, 72. Sorry, mom. I put your age out there. Okay, she's 72. I don't think she could do a full class. Uh, now, we do have students that are 72 and can do a full class. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's a great opportunity for people to come and get exposure. Come and get the experience. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so that was that was 10 questions pulled from the emails and direct messagings that we've had. Uh since we've been doing the podcast, we've been collecting this. Your feedback is encouraged slash is fuel. I will tell you guys that the first time I had a student quote me uh, in something I wrote, it inspired me to write more articles. Uh, last week when we were at the range and we had students coming in and saying, hey, I listened to the podcast and bringing points up. Immediately, it's like, okay, we've got to do more podcasts. We, we have to get this information out. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm really surprised at the, I mean, we have people in California and Idaho and Indiana, Indiana that are responding to us. They're listening to this. That's pretty awesome that these people aren't able to come to a class. They're not able to come to, you know, the, the travel is, is too far right now for them. Um, we do go out, we do travel. Um, you know, shoot, we're going to be in Alaska. I hope you're listening to Alaska. Um, this is what's coming. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's awesome. So yes, please feedback. Let us know how, uh, what you're interested in. Let us know what's going on and we're going to keep this going. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. Jean had the long mustache. Jean had the long mustache.